1 John chapter 4, we'll begin reading in verse 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone in, out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God, he that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Our last study of this epistle consisted of the final five verses of chapter 3. So let's go back just a moment to, to read those and then come in again to chapter 4. In chapter 3.20 we begin reading, For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the spirit which he hath given us. From this passage last week, we considered several truths, and let's just review those briefly. In verse 20, for if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Two things here for us to consider that we must understand. First is that God knows us better than we know ourselves. If our heart condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. And so, our hearts. So we know that God is greater than our heart. He knows us better than we even know ourselves. And second, God alone is the judge and it is God who justifies. For he knows all things. And if our heart condemn us, if God is justified, then we are justified regardless of the guilt that we may have or we may feel or what have you. We have been set free, we have been delivered, and, and Christ is more than enough, all sufficient. And so we, we understand that. Verses 21 and 22. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. When we live our lives in submission to God's word, our hearts do not condemn us. So if our hearts do not condemn us, it's because we are living in submission to God and we have confidence in him. We know that he is all sufficient, as we've said. And then second... Prayer does not change God because he says we have confidence toward God, verse 22, and whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. So second, we see here that prayer does not change God, but it changes us. For when we are submitted to the Lord, he changes our desires to align with his desires. Again, when the scripture says, delight thyself also in the Lord in Psalms, and he, will, he shall give you the, the desires of thine heart, it's not saying, oh, delight in God so you can get what you want. No, it's that when we are delighting in Him, then it is His desires that are now become our desires. And so we desire that which He desires. And therefore, God is the author of the desires that we now have. It's not that we are, are desiring this of ourselves. It is that God has put this within us because He dwells within us. And then third, when we pray according to God's will, not only does the Lord hear, but He also answers as we pray according to His will. So he says here again that when we, whenever, whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments. Now remember, keeping here does not mean we do his law. It means that we love what he loves. We cherish what he cherishes. We, we have a guard and protection over that. In other words, it, it is valuable to us. And do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Let us remember this. We cannot please God in any of our own efforts. Our flesh does not please God. Our flesh will never please God. So when he says that we do those things that are pleasing in his sight, the, the simple truth here, as we've already seen, but let me just clarify again, 
is that when we are submitted to the Lord, His desires are now that, we desire that which He desires, we desire His will be done, we are now submitting unto Him, we are aligning with His will and His purpose, and therefore we pray in that manner, because we love Him, we love His truth, and therefore we pray according to His will while we are in submission to Him, which means that He hears and answers those prayers as we pray them, because we are praying according to His will, not because he's now looking at us going, well, he's been a good boy, so I'm just going to give him what he wants. That's not at all what's being said here, but rather that we are praying now according to his will. And again, I said to you last week, and let me just say this again, reemphasize this truth. If you want to know how to have your prayers answered every time the way you pray them, then always pray in submission to the Lord's will. Because when you pray according to his will, your prayers will always be answered exactly how you pray them, because it's his will, and that's what's going to be accomplished. And so that's what John is as well saying here. Verse 23, And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his, of G, of his son Jesus Christ and love one another as he gave us commandment. There are two parts to this commandment. Believing on Jesus' name, first off. He says this belief is a life-changing, of course, reliance upon Jesus Christ, having complete confidence in him by faith. So this is not talking about a profession of, of merely making a statement, but an absolute entrusting one's spiritual well-being unto Christ. And then second, loving one another. It's not that we are to love like Christ as much as it is we are to allow him to love through us, as we've seen not only in our study of 1 John up to this point, but as well also in the book of Ephesians, as it's been very clear as well. Verse 24, And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. When we treasure or cherish God's truth, we live with the assurance of knowing that He dwells in us and we dwell in Him. You want to know that you're a child of God? Look, you can go back to a date all you want or to a moment all you want, but that in itself is not the evidence. Though we, There is a moment of new birth, that's without question. But if there's genuinely been a new birth, guess what else that produces? A new life. And a new life is one which now desires that which God desires. We love that which God loves. We don't always act as God desires, we do not always act in submission to the will and purpose of God. We must confess that that's true. John deals with that as well throughout this epistle. But we know the difference is this. Our inward man now hungers after righteousness. The Spirit of God within us now desires truth, to know truth, to grow in truth, to live in truth. And this is something that wasn't present before. Even those who are religious don't love and desire truth. They may want to go to heaven, they may not want to go to, uh, to the lake of fire, but the fact of the matter is, it's not that they hunger and desire after truth or love truth. Even when it comes to those who study scripture necessarily, doesn't mean that they love truth. Men, uh, many men thrive and glean and, 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 and flourish, if you will, as they gain knowledge. And there's many people who, who gain great knowledge even concerning the scriptures, but that does not mean that they love or live in truth. And it's one thing to want to grow in a knowledge in the sense of to know. It's another thing to desire to have truth transform your life. And the difference really aligns here. There are those who have great knowledge concerning the Scriptures, but they have no desire, nor are they ever going to submit to the truth of the Scriptures, which therefore transform their lives, even though they have a desire to continue to gain knowledge. But those who love truth are conformed by the truth. We are continually transformed by the truth of the Word of God. So listen, someone can know much about Scripture. Someone can be a student of Scripture, meaning from an intellectual 
intellectual academic st- uh, manner, in an uh, intellectual and academic manner. They can be a student of, tr- of Scripture or even truth in that sense. However, they will never come to truth without the Spirit of God divinely intervening in their lives, and they are now being humbled by God, submitting to Him, receiving Christ's vision, trusting totally in Him, and from that point forward, that life is then transformed by the truth. And here's the difference. When someone speaks to you truth, and, and you know it's truth, even if you've believed something differently before then, that truth will hound you until you submit to that truth if you truly are a believer in Jesus Christ. That's happened to me many times. There are things that I thought and I believed, if you will, because I'd been taught this or that, and then I'm confronted with truth, and even though that is not where I have stood, I have to bow to truth and say, this is right, biblically, uh, in context, this is what is being said here, and therefore I must submit and be transformed by that truth. And those who love truth will willingly submit themselves to truth. And it really doesn't even matter who it comes from, because it's not the person, it's the truth that's all important. There are conversations I have with my own son, with Garrett. And there's times that we'll be talking about things and he'll bring up things and they're true and I know they're true and I have to back up and say, that's right. And I have to, I have to conform to truth. So it doesn't matter where the truth is coming from, it's whether or not it's truth and us having the discernment to know that this is true. And when I say discernment, it doesn't mean a feeling but that the Spirit of God is then driving us to the Scriptures to search out the Scriptures and say, oh, yeah, this is true. And therefore, we are now conformed to truth. So again, there's a difference between those who want more knowledge and those who desire truth and hunger after truth. And don't don't let that confuse you. Look, there, there there are people in the world today that are professed atheists that know more Scripture and know more about Scripture than numerous people who profess Christ and know Christ who sit in churches. That's a fact. Now, I'm not saying they have spiritual discernment. I'm saying but they know more of the Scriptures and would put to shame most professing, many professing believers, if not most professing believers, because of their own studies. But that doesn't mean they love truth. But those who love truth embrace truth and have a desire to be changed by truth. I want to be changed by truth. I want for truth to continue to transform me. I want all the error to be, to be revealed to me that I might then submit to the truth. I desire that. So, and we should as followers of Christ. So if we're going to have a contextual understanding of these first verses of chapter 4, which we've read this evening, we have to look back to the last verse of chapter 3, which we've just read through these. Verse three, chapter 3, 24. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him, and hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. Then we read in chapter 4, verse 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. John speaks of our assurance coming from the Spirit of God who lives within the believer. Throughout the previous chapters and in the following Chapter, John explains that there's evidence in the life of the one in which or in whom God's Spirit dwells. As Paul declared to the churches of Galatia, Galatians 5, 22-25, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. 
Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Then Ephesians 5, 9, and 10. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And as I've mentioned many times too, these are not fruits of the Christian. This is the fruit of the Spirit. And that is very important to understand because you're not producing this fruit. It is the Spirit of God and the fact that He dwells within you that produces the fruit of which John speaks. So the Spirit bears fruit in every life in which He dwells. So we have the assurance that we are in Christ because the Spirit dwells in us, and we have assurance that His Spirit lives within us by the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit which He produces in our lives. And again, the fact of the matter is we desire truth and be conformed to the truth. In this next chapter, in chapter 4, John warns and exhorts believers to exercise discernment. As I have often mentioned, I've said this to you many times, everything spiritual is not of God. And and there's a, a great danger that is present when people have a quote-unquote, a spiritual encounter or experience, and they immediately equate that to God. And so this is God's work, and this is God's power at work. That's not necessarily true. And we need to recognize that. And so we have to have discernment to know the difference. Look at verse 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are going out into the world. Now notice, he says, try the spirits, but then he gives us the means by which these spirits are exercising this heresy or this even blasphemy. And how do they do it? Through what? But how do they, how do the, how do the, uh, the through false prophets? These spirits that are not of God are manifesting through what? False prophets. And so remember, just because something is spiritual does not mean it is of God. And while there are many charlatans, obviously, there are many people that are just simply out there trying to get money out of people, and they're doing so in a wicked manner, and they do it under the name of Christ or the gospel, so to speak, and there's those that are easily exposed to be false prophets or to be charlatans in that manner. But at the same time, there are also false prophets that are not of that breed, so to speak, that are extremely dangerous and lead many people astray because they have no discernment and they do not test to see what they say is true according to what the Scriptures teach. And the problem is they don't, themselves don't know what the Scriptures teach to do that. And so it's very dangerous. Not only is it true that everything that is spiritual is not of God, but also everything that claims to be of God is not of God. Listen, people think because somebody stands up and says Jesus, that oh, they must be of God because they're talking about the gospel. And No, that's not necessarily true. As a matter of fact, you recall where Paul goes to the city and there is a woman, a girl, that is known to be demon-possessed who is following him in the city and Paul is proclaiming Christ. And remember what the girl said? These men 
preach the truth of God. They preach salvation. But wait, this is demonic activity declaring that Paul and those with them are declaring the truth of Jesus Christ. Why would a demon spirit make such a profession of truth? And you know what Paul did? He, he did. He, re, he did. He rebuked her, but basically told her to stop. Here she is testifying that these men are preaching the truth of salvation of God. Were they doing that? Yes. So was the demonic spirit speaking truth in that respect? Yes. And yet Paul says, stop. So why would Paul do that? Why would Paul... Well, I think the answer is very clear. That the demonic spirit was trying to blur the lines between the truth and the demon activity, and so trying to merge the two together, and Paul's saying, no, we have no part with this, and you have no part with us. And he's saying, this is not of God. We are of God, and we are declaring the truth of God, but this is not of God. Now, that would seem a little strange, wouldn't it? Because this woman, this girl, is declaring these men speak truth. And they did speak truth. But yet Paul is saying, no, we're not blurring any lines here. This is of God, and this is not of God. Hence, it must stop. And he, he stopped it, rebuked. Or, and she spoke no more of that. And, of course, she was delivered. But the point of the matter is that Paul knew this was not of God, even though it was of spiritual nature. And it was demonic activity. And I would say to you that that's far more than most in churches realize today. Because many people professing the name of Christ, as soon as somebody says, Jesus, oh, that's God. No, it's not. Not just because the name Jesus is used does it mean that it's of God. And you have to have discernment to understand that. So John emphasizes here the assurance we have of belonging to Christ by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, yet as well he warns that every spirit is not of God. And there were in John's day, as there is well today, many false prophets and many demonic spirits who come in the name of Christ, that is, they come professing to be of God and doing the work of God, but they're not. Remember, even Paul warns that the, uh, that the messengers of Satan appear as angels of light or ministers of, of righteousness. They make themselves out to be ministers of righteousness. But they're not. We are warned in the Scripture concerning such. 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2, Paul said, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with hot iron. 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. When he talks about that they come into the houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins. Silly women here is talking about that they are simple. In other words, that they just are receiving whatever is given, not having any discernment. That's what's being talked of here, or spoken of. 2 Timothy 4.3 Oh, by the way, notice verse 7. Let me mention that again. Ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. 
There you have it again. Men can learn and they can have a lot, they can gain knowledge and never come to truth and not love truth and not be transformed by truth. 2 Timothy 4 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they keep to themselves teachers having itching ears. And boy, do we not see that prevalent today? Refuse and reject sound teaching and doctrine and heat to themselves teachers having itching ears. Do you know why so many false, pro- pro- false prophets are so prominent? Today in the world, especially in American culture and society, do you know why they are? Do you know why they're so prominent? Because people want them. That's what they want. They raise them up, they support them, they give them what they want. That's exactly why they are as they are today, as prominent as they are. 2 Peter 2, 1 and 2, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who probably shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Then in Jude, verses 3 and 4, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So this obviously is not the extent of all scriptures that teach us concerning false prophets and heresies. We do find that there is much in scripture that warns us of such, even as these verses we've read tonight. Throughout history, it is evident that Satan always provides a counterfeit for that which the Lord does. And Satan cannot destroy the wheat. Amen to that. Satan cannot destroy those who are God's children, that we are God's children, we are the Lord's, and there's nothing that the devil or the enemy can do about that, and that's a a great joy. So he cannot destroy the wheat, so what does he do? He plants tares among the wheat. And the tares look a lot like the wheat. History reveals this to be true in, in some major Significant times of history, that is. God raised up Martin Luther into the world, birthing the Reformation. Satan raised up the Jesuits and the Counter-Reformation. God raised up John Wesley. Satan raised up Voltaire, teaching deism. God raised up Spurgeon and Moody. And Satan raised up Joseph Smith and Brigham Young with the Mormon cult and Charles Russell of the Jehovah's Witnesses and Mary Eddy of the cult referred to as Christian Scientology. God raised up... Adoniram Judson, David Livingston, Hudson Taylor of the modern-day missionary movement. Modern-day meaning in the last years. While Satan raised up Karl Marx, Sigmund Freud, and Arthur Doyle, spiritualists. As we see, Satan is sure to plant tares among the wheat within the world, generally speaking, on on a large world platform and stage. However, the enemy not only works within the world in that capacity, but also plants tares within the church. So don't think for one moment, though it should be, that those who gather as we gather tonight, should everyone be followers of Christ, submitted to the Lord Jesus, receiving salvation, receiving Christ by faith. Don't believe for one moment that every time we gather, it's all believers that are here. Verses 2 and 3. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. 
As we've seen in the first chapter, John is dealing with a generation who in large were not eyewitnesses to the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Much of what John is fighting against are these two attacks against Christ. His deity, that Jesus came as God in the flesh, the very Son of God in the flesh. And then second is his humanity, that his flesh did not take away from the truth that he is God. So it's God came in the flesh, but yet his flesh in no way detracted from so these two, these two fronts are, are that which John is faced with. If Jesus is not God, then we must recognize his sacrifice at Calvary meant nothing more than a man dying for a man. If Jesus was not man, then he could never relate to us in taking our sin upon himself, and once again, it makes his sacrifice irrelevant for mankind. One can confess with the mouth, obviously, that, it, that is to make a profession that Jesus is God and yet live their lives in total contradiction to this truth. It is one thing to profess that Christ is Lord while it is another to surrender to His Lordship, to submit to His Lordship. That being said, we must recognize, and I say all this because notice what John says. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. So he says every spirit. Did you recognize that? Here he's not saying, if a man says Jesus is God, oh, that is not what John is saying. But the spirit within that man that confesses and professes that Jesus is Lord, he is God in the flesh, who's come and manifested to take away our sins. And then he says, that is of God, whereas those who reject that truth are not of God, because that's not true. Meaning that if they're rejecting the truth, then that, of course, is a lie which they propagate, and therefore they are not of God. There are two kinds of so-called atheists, if you would recognize that as such, and it is the professing atheist. That's the one who declares or claims, professes that there is no God. And then there are those who would be referred to as practical atheists, and those, these are those who live as if there is no God. In either case, an atheist is one who claims to believe that God does not exist. And the irony of this is that they are making a claim that they, as a human being, have the infinite knowledge to testify that there is no God. In one sense, a man would have to consider himself to be God to make such a foolish claim that there is no God. Because you'd have to claim that you know all things to actually make a confession that there is no God, that there absolutely cannot be a God, which of course is foolish. But yet there are those who profess that, and then there are those who live that. Meaning those who live as though there is no God, when there obviously is. And John here is declaring that if a man, if, or if the Spirit, the, the Spirit that says that Jesus is come in the flesh, He is the Son of God, that is of course of God because this is truth. But yet then the Spirit that denies that truth is not of God. Verse 4, ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. In the context of this passage, we see that John is referring to Satan, all his demons, and every spirit that denies the lordship of Jesus Christ. Although Satan is powerful, and many bow to him as the God of this world, and the prince of the power of the air, as Scripture declares him to be, we have victory over Satan and all of his power, of course. And so the question then must be asked, where does our victory come from? Well, notice the second part of verse 4. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. He that is in the world is talking about who? About Satan. And greater is he that is in you. Who is that? The Spirit of God. God himself. Christ. 
indwelling us. And he is greater. So, although the attacks of Satan are fierce, the victory is already won in Jesus Christ. Verse 5 says, They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. The world seeks its own solutions when the world itself is the problem. (laughs) And how foolish is that? When you know there is a problem and you think that you have the answers to your own problems and you cannot solve the problem, but yet you continually attempt to do so. You know what they say about the definition of insanity, right? Doing the same thing over again, expecting a different result. And the reality is people continually are trying to fix themselves and the result is always the same. It never changes. Therefore, we live in a world that is insane by its own definition. All the answers that they seek are from those that are in the world of which Satan rules through deception. Wicked men will listen to wicked men but will refuse truth because it is foreign to them. It's no surprise that heresies are not only tolerated but embraced even when they are complete foolishness. As 2 Timothy 4.4, Paul wrote, And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. I've often mentioned from this passage of Scripture, the statement in this verse, the first statement, consists of an active voice verb. When he says, shall, or they shall turn. Yet the second statement consists of a passive voice verb. And shall be turned unto fables. So you have an active voice verb, they shall turn, and you have a passive voice verb, they shall be turned. And here's what that means. The active voice verb means the subject is performing the action. So men are born and then continue to willingly reject truth. They turn from, they reject truth, they turn from the truth. And that is an action men continue to repeat throughout their lifetime apart from God's divine intervention. But then it says they turn away from the truth, or they turn from the truth, then they shall be turned unto fables. That's passive voice, which means the action is now being performed upon the subject rather than the subject performing the action. So what that means is that because they willingly reject truth and reject Christ, now the only thing they are left to is lies. I mentioned this last night in our class. It it should not surprise you that we live in a society in which the claims are that there's two sexes and hundreds of genders? And that's insanity. But yet that should not surprise you. Do you know why that should not surprise you? It should not surprise you that we live in a society in which the the numbers continue to grow and that they claim or profess that they're God. It should not surprise you that we live in a day in which men are praising and exalting that which is not only wicked, but also self-destructive while rejecting truth. The point of the matter is this should not surprise us for this one reason. When men reject truth, all that's left are lies. Think about that. So you reject the fact that there's only two genders? Well, now you're left open to all these lies or whatever you want it to be. If you reject truth, all you have are are lies. That's all you have. What else do you have? Lies. That's it. And the lies continue to be spun. And, And for people with any discernment spiritually or even logic, rationally, 
they gaze into this and say, this makes absolutely no sense. And the reason we can say that is because we have truth. And this other is nonsense. But yet it's propagated all the more and people are believing it all the more. How could you believe such a thing? Here's how you can believe it, because you've rejected truth. And if you reject truth, all you have left are your own lies. And when I say truth, let me be more specific. When you reject God's truth, all you have left is the, are the lies of men. And if you're not going to believe God, what are you going to believe? Who are you going to believe? Men. And look at the insanity of this. Here we are. So when men reject truth, turn away their ears from the truth, they are turned unto fables. Men embrace all forms of foolishness because they reject God's truth. And in other words, those who refuse truth inadvertently open their hearts up to receive all foolishness and deception of Satan and of men and of the world. Verse 6. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Because we are of God, our hearts and ears have been tuned into His voice rather than that of the world. And thank God for this truth. Look, I am thankful that my ears are tuned into what God has declared and said rather than what this world says. I'm grateful that I don't live under the deception of this insanity and rejection of truth. Those who refuse to receive truth, especially the truth of the Lordship of Jesus Christ, are not of God. And that's what John is saying. If you reject Christ, you're not of God, period. So by this, John says, we know the spirit of truth, the spirit that is of God, and the spirit of error, the spirit of Satan. There is no middle ground concerning the lordship of Jesus Christ. There is no straddling of the fence. One either surrenders to the lordship, submits to the lordship of Jesus Christ, or one lives in denial of his lordship, either by word, by deed, or both. You need to understand what I just said. Listen, there are those, I've talked about professed atheists and practical atheists earlier. There are those who would never deny the lordship of Jesus Christ by their words, but they deny his lordship in their lives every day. And here's what John is saying. Those people are not of God. No matter what they say, are you following this? No matter what someone says, that's irrelevant. Men can say whatever they want. Any man can say, Jesus is Lord. Are you aware of that? Any man can form those words and say those words who's capable of speaking can say Jesus is Lord. But if he does not have a life that's submitted to the Lordship of Christ, it doesn't matter what he says. Because what he does far exceeds the volume of what is spoken. Those who are of God receive truth. Those who know Christ long and desire for truth. One of the clear pieces of evidence of those who know the Lord is that they love His truth. Men who love truth will also be continually transformed by the truth which they love. If you love God, you love truth. If you love truth, you welcome truth. You embrace truth. Even 
as it's transforming you. Even when you have to say, I'm wrong, this is right. God is right. Scripture is right. I am wrong. Even if I believe something my entire life, when I see from Scripture contextually that that is incorrect, guess what I must do? I must submit to that truth, embrace that truth, live in that truth, and rejoice in that truth. And this is the process of our entire quote-unquote Christian life, is it not? That as we are following after Christ, that God is making us more aware and illuminating our minds and hearts to His truth, which is then by His Spirit conforming us. Remember what Jesus said in John 17, 17, His high priestly prayer, and is the, Lord, the true Lord's prayer in Scripture. He said, Sanctify them by Thy truth, Thy word is truth. So continually drawing them, setting them apart unto yourself, Father, through your truth, and the word is your truth. So through your word, continually transform them. Through your word, continually conform them. Truth. That's why we talk about people say, or people believe, or falling into this, are given over to this belief, an idea that you can be born again, yet there will be no transformation in your life. That's nonsense. But being, neither is being born again an effort of you transforming yourself. That's also nonsense. So what is it? It's that as we are born again, as Christ dwells and lives in us, the truth of God is continually changing us. And we are coming to a place where we are submitting, saying, Lord, your word is right, you are right, you are true. And we embrace that. And we are corrected. And we are instructed. And look, this takes place in my life continually. And if you're a believer, it takes place in your life continually. And we must concede, no matter what baggage we've held on to for all these years, no matter what we've claimed to believe, no matter what we truly believe, the fact of the matter is, when we are confronted with the truth of God's Word as it has been given in its context, we must concede that none of that matters, and this is all that matters. The Word is all that matters. So those who love truth are conformed by truth. And truth testifies that Jesus is the Son of God. But not only does it testify that in mouth or in word or by mouth, but it also testifies that through a heart of submission to Him. He is Lord. And it's not just I claim He is Lord. It's that I'm submitted to Him as Lord. So this discernment comes from His Spirit to know truth, to know error. And we are to recognize that. Listen, we live in a day in which the lines have been so blurred or attempted to have been blurred. And people are so ignorant and spiritually immature if they are born again at all that they embrace and believe anything and everything that has any spiritual connotation to it as though this is of God when it's not. How do we know? Because the Spirit dwells within us. The Spirit testifies of the truth of God's Word. And the Spirit will testify of truth. There's times you may have even had this happen where you are sitting listening to teaching or preaching and someone says something and, and it may be not some bold statement. It may just be something casually being stated. 
and you're just sitting there going, that's not right. And it's not because you know a verse necessarily right offhand that you go to quote, but you're going, that's not right. It doesn't align with what Scripture teaches. And you go back and study, and it's the Spirit of God testifying that's not true. Or it may be that you're listening to someone and joy just rises up within your heart because there's a testament of truth there. You know this is true. By the Word of God. Not by feeling, but by the Word of God. And God's Spirit reminds you of the truth of His Word, and you rejoice in that because this is truth. But if that be the case, then our lives are also continually being transformed by that truth. We are being changed by the truth, conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. By the way, Jesus Christ is what? The truth. And our lives are being conformed to him, to the truth. So try the spirits. What does that mean? For us, it means that we are, if you hear someone speak, you should be rooted and grounded in the Word enough to be able to know whether or not what they're saying and what they're professing is truth according to God's Word. This isn't about a feeling. This is about the resting and trusting in His Spirit to remind us of all things He has said. As we would study the Word and have discernment in our study of the Word, therefore have discernment when things are brought up. You should not be easily swayed. You should not be easily deceived. You should be rooted and grounded and not tossed about by every wind of doctrine. And that's your responsibility. Yeah, it's my responsibility to teach you, but it's your responsibility to be rooted and grounded. And as I've said to you so many times, and I'm finished with this, but listen to this statement. This is absolutely true. As a pastor, as a shepherd, it's my responsibility to teach you the truth of God's Word. But it is your responsibility to know whether or not I'm doing that. What did the Bereans do? Do you remember? The Apostle Paul taught them, and what did the Bereans do? They went to the Word to make certain what Paul was preaching was true. Do you think Paul was offended by that? Of course he wasn't. They had to know that this was right. They, Paul's preaching, it was Paul's responsibility to declare Christ unto them in truth, but it was their responsibility to know whether or not he was doing that. And so they went back to the Scriptures to compare what Paul was teaching with what Scriptures taught. So let us have discernment. And this is a test of fellowship with the Lord. If, if, if we have the Spirit of God, He dwells in us, and He provides this discernment because He's reminding us of the truth. We love truth. We embrace truth. And now He brings to memory and to mind the truth which we know and are rooted and grounded in and then conforms us to truth. And this is the discernment. Discernment isn't simply a feeling we get. It's not intuition. It's not, well, I don't know about that. No, and discernment is based upon truth. And the spirit of truth dwelling in us. So let us be rooted and grounded in truth. So we might have discernment to know truth from error. Because there's a lot of error out there today that presents itself as though it's truth. A lot. And we should know the difference. So may God grant us to have the spirit of discernment as we would commit ourselves to know truth that he might then lead and guide us in truth as he's promised to do.